Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, there was an amazing essay in The New Yorker called The Case Against Travel. Essentially, the author was trying to make arguments about why people shouldn't travel, or at least why they should really think twice before they travel, or why are they traveling. And here's the best paragraph I read. A tourist is a temporarily leisured person who voluntarily visits a place away from home for the purpose of experiencing a change. This definition is taken from the opening of Hosts and Guests, the classic academic volume on the anthropology of tourism. The last phrase is crucial. Touristic travel exists for the sake of change. But what exactly gets changed? Here is a telling observation from the concluding chapter of the same book. Tourists are less likely to borrow from their hosts than their hosts are from them, thus precipitating a chain of change in the host community. We go to experience a change, but end up inflicting change on others. And Don, you and I just got back from summer vacations of our own. I was up in Alaska. You were up on the west coast of Washington and Oregon. We've both just traveled, according to this author. Possibly we shouldn't have. What did you think about this article? Well, we did lay change at the places we left. We we left our dollars. We created uh, we created goods and services in that area, generated some money and some income for people. But we took away things too. And I think my wife said it best. We were cresting a mountain and looking out at all these other snow-capped mountains, overlooking these beautiful glacier lakes. And she said to the boys, like, when it's February and it's rough and school is just a drag. This is something you can think about. We were here, we did this, and that'll bring you joy. And I really like that. And that's what travel is in, men, in so few words. You know, the author's take is, is kind of one that's, that's narrowly focused. And it's the idea that many people seem to want to travel to, to have some sort of a change, some sort of a spiritual moment. And yet the argument the author kind of makes is, when we come back, nothing really has changed for us. And while your wife has maybe reminded your 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 sons to to think of this wonderful moment, do you think they will? And do you think they are changed? Yeah, I think that it's it's not necessarily from what you're there, but what you experience together and you bond with the people that you're with. And you can relive this memory and think about how it made you feel to be there with those people. I mean, I slept in a tent for six days in the wilderness out in the high altitude, and it was great. We are all huddled up there in our sleeping bags. We experienced it together. We ate oatmeal for breakfast outside in our sweatshirts, and we were doing fun things together and building uh, experiences and relationships. And so I don't necessarily think that I'm taking away much regional cuisine, although we did have some good regional cuisine, but we did take away the experiences. And those are things that are going to change who we are and the things that we have in our uh, arsenal of memories. Now, one of the things that they bring up is that they said, look, like if you have to travel for work or if you have to travel for a specific reason, that is one thing. And you, you know, you should be able to do that freely, no problem at all. They also seem to go with the idea that if you travel with a purpose of something that you truly love. Now, your family has been camping forever. I know that you guys like it. You have, you know, spent most of your 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 children's life 
every summer going off to national parks and, and camping. And, and therefore, I keep trying to figure out where I would place your family on the spectrum of what they argue in the argument, because you guys clearly do love going out and camping. Whereas the argument this guy sort of makes is a lot of people show up in a place and then they say, like, what are you supposed to do? And the example they had in the article was like, if I'm in Abu Dubai, what do I do? And they say, oh, go to a falconry hospital. And the guy's like, so I go to a falconry hospital, even though I have zero interest in falcons. And when I leave, I'm still going to continue to have zero interest in falcons. And therefore, all I'm doing is just uh, moving about. I'm not really taking anything from this. And therefore, do you think your family is different when it comes to travel? Well, yeah, I the ironically in Eugene, Oregon, where we stayed for four days, there was a falconry and we did not <laughs> go. Uh, we were like, yeah, I don't think we're really that interested in it. We did a lot of other things together. We didn't do that. Um, I think it is there are people that go camping and really they just sit by the fire all day and drink and eat. And that's not really what we do. We're we're waking up in the outdoors, going to bed in the outdoors, but then we're going hiking, we're going swimming, we're going to f see things and do things. And so there's different ways to look at that um, camping experience. But yeah, it, you're going and experiencing everything about that. You got the sore muscles and the uh, the the all the uh, thirst and hunger from it, and experiencing that out there, is, out in the side, is special for us. We were blessed with good weather, as we usually seem to be, but it is something that we like out there. And the sentence from the article says, if you are going to see something you neither value nor aspire to value, you are not doing much of anything besides locomoting. Yeah, well, we're looking for things that we don't have here in Michigan. We don't have real mountains in Michigan, porcupine mountains aside. We have, and we don't have the kind of elevation, the kind of things that we want to see. We want to see things different, and that's why we went there. Do you think then that this author makes an interesting case? Is is there any merit in their argument that maybe we should all just stay home? And, you know, they, they kind of just start out the whole uh article with just sort of the idea that there were some famous people that were like, travel narrows the mind. It's a fool's paradise. And, and just sort of the idea that like, why not just stay home and live a good life in your neighborhood, in your local community, connecting with the people you live near and among and that you know, why do you have to leave it all only to return? And in many <laughs> cases, having not really brought anything back with you, that that is going to make an everlasting change. You bring back with you the idea that there's more out there and that there's different ways of looking at things and doing things and that things can be different. You might be comfortable with what you are at home, but you like to experience and see what is else, what else is out there. Here's the other thing. The argument that I that she's like the author says that, uh, well, business travelers, I mean, they have to travel. Everybody I know that travels for business hates traveling for business. They go and they see <laughs> hotels and nothing else. Like my next door neighbor used to go to Vegas for a week every year for that electronics convention. I was like, oh, do you get out and see some sun? Do you go play some golf? He's like, no, I just see fluorescent lights, my hotel room and meeting rooms in the hotel. It's awful. And then I have a buddy that's been to Japan like 12 times. He does uh, all sorts of cool research on, um, and I was like, Hey, how is it? He's like, no, I just go to meetings. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to hot springs. I'm not seeing Mount Fuji. I'm not going, I just, just getting room service. Like business travelers aren't traveling. They want to be at home, but they're forced out there. You and I chose to leave. 
And we chose the destinations carefully with that in mind, the idea to see something different. And that's what they did. You took your kids to the top of a glacier. You, they climbed with their ice picks and crampons to get there so they could take full value of it. Uh, not, not so much the uh, ice picks. A couple of them put crampons on, although they weren't really needed, and the <laughs> helicopter just landed on the glacier. <laughs> Regardless, uh, that is an experience. Like it, it is, and it's something that, like you know, we've got some great photos, and and it's a chance to cherish, uh, you know, just sort of that as a family, and we really will. But it was interesting because the the author sort of brings up these interesting hypothetical situations where they said the problem with modern day tourism is that so much of it, people are looking for others or other things to validate it. And they brought up one scenario of you go to the Grand Canyon and basically like you try to take a picture of it or you try to look at it and you basically say, oh, this doesn't look like it did in the picture. And maybe just the lighting is off or maybe you're there at the wrong time or maybe you're not standing in the correct angle, but it looks different. And all of a sudden now, maybe you're bummed out because it didn't match whatever you thought it was supposed to be. They even talked about how a lot of people want to travel so that when they get somewhere, they actually think there's going to be some sort of a spiritual moment where they're a changed individual. And then they realize they're just them, their same person. And then in other times you go and you feel like you have this great authentic moment, but then the only way to prove that it's an authentic moment is to have somebody else come and essentially like validate whether or not it was an authentic moment. And I, I mean, this is all kind of heady and maybe above the actual way that most people want to think about travel, but I thought it was an interesting way to do that in that we had a great time on that glacier and yet I guess now my kids will need to go and show that picture to other kids <laughs> to to have them say, oh, my God, that's so cool, uh, in order to maybe maybe get feel like it was a real vacation. Well, I, it seems pretty negative from the perspective of the author in that, like, yes, you when you travel, you can't get away from yourself. And if you're a largely unhappy person, you'll be unhappy with the salmon on the cruise ship or the uh, the the French toast at the buffet. But if you are there and you're happy and you're excited to experience this thing, we I don't put a lot of expectations on our trips. I think we decide which national parks we were wanted to go to because we thought they had quality things to do there. Then we promptly forgot it and just arrived and said, went to the ranger station, said, where should we hike? We're willing to go about 10, 12 miles. And this is what we're and what's the best place to go? And the rangers always tell us we're not looking to find something. We're just looking to experience what's there we there's no expectation and when you get there you realize like wow this is pretty amazing but it's also like i said earlier it's you you don't get away from yourself but you do bond with the people you're there with so we'll forever have the jokes about the bugs and the whatever else that was chasing us around and how we experience that and everything and it's something that we can think back fondly and it's a i'm not saying it's a gift for the children it's really a gift for ourselves because we're getting to do fun things with our kids who are honestly getting older may not do that many more things with us. And that's a really good point. I, I, I think if anything, the case for travel is to break up a normal routine that you have in your local area. Not that it's a bad routine, but just it, it is amazing. All of a sudden you, you travel and, and everybody's a little more willing to play board games or, uh, you know, want to, to to engage with one another or to just go and do one-off experiences. And I guess my thing would be is back to the falconry thing of 
yes, maybe you have no interest in falconry, but perhaps the experience alone just makes you say, oh, I had no idea that taking care of a falcon was so complicated or, <laughs> you know, it just, it, it's just one of those things that you just kind of always have with you of, I mean, I guess you could go back and, and brag to your friends of like, I saw a falcon like get its wing, you know, repaired, but I, I guess I would just say that it also is just something that you don't normally do. And there's something to be said for just sort of taking a time out in your normal routine to just sort of do a bunch of random things. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, and then you come back and value the stuff that you missed. Like, uh, we got back and, wow, we really like our house. It's nice. It has, <laughs> it, it's not a campsite. It doesn't have a bathroom centrally located that's uh, 100 feet or 100 meters away. It has three bathrooms and three showers, and we can all use the showers. And, like, it makes you appreciate those things and appreciate the area you have around and what you enjoy doing. And, like you said, it breaks up the monotony. Much like the end of the school year does. You don't, I appreciate the school year most really in September because I'm coming back and I'm kind of excited to get started. And I don't think I'd do that if I didn't have a break. You and I are in some ways not very good at judging this because we have this calendar that gives us two weeks off in winter, a spring break of a week, and nearly three months in the summer. I don't know what it's like for people that work 50 weeks a year. No, that's a very good point. It's a very good point. And, and you know, taking a vacation makes you realize kind of how spoiled we are sometimes when I just got back from traveling and now I'm going to still be off for a few more weeks. Absolutely. I unpacked slowly over two days and I was like, oh, no rush to do that. I don't have to go back to work for a while. So yeah, it's it's a very different way of looking at it. I imagine it really plays a big role for other people. They're like, I got to get out of here. I got to go do something. But for us, we have the time. But then in top of the time, we put the travel because it just opened you up to new things. But do you think there's something in, is it maybe America or maybe in our culture, maybe it's a world thing, about how we sometimes tend to look at travel? And and I always go with, I do think there is a certain type of people or a certain type of attitude that traveling is the only way to truly understand the world. Or people get real kind of high-minded about it. Uh, in the article, they say, travel gets branded as an achievement. See interesting places, have interesting experiences, become interesting people. Is that really what it is? What do you think? Is that kind of where we're at? Well, it depends. I think some people travel in pursuit of what is comfortable. And so they want to travel, but they only want to travel to this type of hotel with this type of bed and have X type of coffee or eat foods they're familiar with. And they're constantly in pursuit of comfortable. And so then you're just kind of out there. It's a like a Sisyphus in a task like Sisyphus, you know, you're just trying to find this thing that is hard to get and then struggling to do that again and again and again. I mean, I think if you're going out and trying to experience things, that's great. Are you really taking away things? I'm not going to be that self-examining and like, did I really change as a result? I have new experiences and new memories and that's all I hope to get. And that's all I gained. But I don't know if I'm supposed to come away with it. Now I'm feeling like I didn't come away with a big moment. Zach, I had no religious experiences the entire time, but I had a pleasant time and saw cool things I haven't seen before. Isn't that good enough? I think it is, but I feel like there's a certain segment of people that if they'd had your exact same trip, 
they would come back and and want to tell us how you know they spoke to the wolves or they <laughs> they, they understand nature better um you know they they saw the sun rise and and possibly peeked into heaven for a moment there there were just certain people like that i'm not saying everybody but those same kind of people then you say oh i'm going to paris and and you're like oh what did you you know what are you going to do and like oh i really want to see the eiffel tower and then they're like oh figures that's a touristy thing to do right and then they judge if you just go and do sort of the most popular landmarks of a place and all of a sudden now we've got two types of travelers i feel like the person who just goes and does the really popular touristy things and then you have the guy that's also there but they're just going to walk around because they're going to quote admire the architecture or go be a, a french guy and just drink in the cafes and soak up the french culture and for some reason that person gets to be more superior than the guy that just went to see the mona lisa for 15 minutes i don't care i'm there for my <laughs> own enjoyment i feel like I remember being at a concert and it was live, which was a total mainstream band in the 90s, late love 90s. Love that band, by the way. Oh, yeah. Loved it. And there was some obscure group that was opening and the girl sitting in front of me was totally into the opening act and then was leaving before live came out. And I was like, you know, the main act's about to start. She's like, I'm only here for the opening act because they're real musicians. You're just a sellout. You just like these guys because they're on MTV. And I was like, Oh God, she thinks she's so much better than me. I felt bad for a second. Then I was like, wait, but I know these songs. I like to think, sing along to these songs. I'm going to sing with the guy that wrote the songs. Great. Doesn't matter. Like, I don't need to be better than people. I'm just here to enjoy what I'm here to enjoy. Right. But that then kind of makes you a rube, right? You're not sophisticated. Because I, I like that example of the idea that, oh, you can't watch them. They sold out or that's too commercial. I only listen to college radio. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like I went, I, I just like that's a lot of people that travel is they they have their own idea. And, and the moment you actually do something that's, you know, I guess on the beaten path, which that's what most people do is, you know, there's a reason why the Eiffel Tower is probably one of the most photographed things in the yeah. world. Like people want to see it. And they're clearly like the Mona Lisa only gets more and more popular, it seems like as we go. And I can't fault somebody for wanting just to say or have the experience that like most other people have when they go to these places. I, I would argue, unfortunately, now tourism in these heavily packed areas just seems like a mess. It's just thousands of people all crowding around really cramped spaces and if anything it's sort of like well what's the point of traveling if you're just getting bumped into all the time in these well-beaten path uh, sort of places well we found an under the radar national park and that was north cascades national park which was the opposite of yosemite where we went a couple of years ago which was like the this tiny geographic area that's very cramped and filled with people. Beautiful, spectacular, but just lots of people bumping into each other. And we really enjoyed the kind of off the off the beaten path aspect of it. But that said, we're not better than anybody. It was just a different place we wanted to go. There's another national park we could have gone to in uh, or Washington. We didn't end up there, but that's okay, too. Like, there's lots of things to see. And I don't think it's a zero-sum thing, like, we all went to Washington, but only I got the real experience. Like, okay, great. I also enjoyed my experience. We can do different things. <laughs> we, 
<laughs> we can go to a horse race and you can enjoy the betting and I can just enjoy the majestic beauty of the horses before they're killed. They're only killed if they snap the hoof or something, right? Except for down in Churchill Downs, aren't half the horses dead that were there this summer? I don't know. I guess I missed that headline. Oh, yeah. There's like six horses died in a week or two, all from the same trainer. So they suspended him for two weeks. Don't worry. He's back. He's winning races there. Well, I guess technically, if you didn't have any interest in horses before you got there, you'll have zero interest in the horses <laughs> after you leave, right? I still have zero, zero interest in horse racing. <laughs> well, going back to then that original argument at the beginning of, of um, the quote I read, of the idea that the place itself is maybe more changed than you, the tourist. And I was thinking a lot about that. And I, and I think that is such a true statement. And I guess my question to you is, do you think it's wrong? And, and I, I just got back from Alaska and Anchorage is a town that is basically set up for just thousands of tourists that are coming through that city all summer long. And we talked to lots of just different people that work in the tourism industry. And they all just said, oh yeah, I'm just up here to work the season. And they have to bring in all these seasonal workers for basically a 100 day season. But pretty much anywhere you go now, there are whole countries, economies that are set up just for tourism, where everybody's kind of all in, uh, doing something to cater to tourists. And you do realize like how much that changes the local mindset and, and outlook on people that live somewhere when they just cater to tourists all day. Well, and it d destroys the legit thing that's there. Like I, you and I have read an article about how Airbnb has destroyed Barcelona. There's no more real neighborhoods in Barcelona. It's all Airbnbs. And you can't experience the culture because the culture is tourism rather than what was the culture of Barcelona. And I think that's true. A lot of places I am um, the uh, we talked to at our hotel in Seattle. We talked to a couple of guys from Central America that were working on cruise ships and they make 10 times as much on the cruise ship as they would make back home. So that's what they do. We talked to a Jamaican cashier at a national park in rural Washington, and she was doing the same thing, trying to get, you know, pay their bills to make some money. And so in some ways, tourism destroys the thing that you wanted to see. And I guess you go further out and search out those more extreme experiences, but I'm not sure it's what you think it's going to be. Like, are you, what, what's the hope? You're going to go pan for gold and find real gold and then go sleep in a burlap sack under a tree and hope not to die or be eaten. Like, I don't want the real legit Alaska experience. That sounds hard. Well, right. And at the same time, then, if you're not getting the authentic or legit experience, what are you getting? And part of when I read this, I was thinking a long time ago, my wife and I were in Mexico and, um, you know, we were, I think we went out to go see a pyramid down there, Chichen Itza. And on the way back, uh, the bus tour that we had kind of signed up with uh, made us eat and eat a lunch and then watch a cultural dance by uh, people of, of ancient Mayan heritage. And it was fine, but there was a part of me that just felt like uh, the people on the stage doing this little show, is this what they really would like to be doing? Or is this just what they're doing to, again, pay the bills, right? Uh, generate some income, which, hey, I guess it's an opportunity to generate income. But I, I, I doubted whether these people were actually still living among a lot of these traditional ways. And it was kind of hard to figure out exactly what were you seeing. Uh, I mean, at least at Disneyland, Disney World, you know everything's just kind of fake when you show up and you have the rides and the characters. 
and in some ways, I just feel like a lot of these touristy spots now have they're they're putting on a show that's almost Disney like. But as you're saying, you, you're kind of like, well, what's authentic? What's real? And I don't know if you ever can kind of figure that out. Well, if you go somewhere gigantic like New York City or London, then the tourism is so intermixed with the gigantic thriving city that's there that it is kind of its own thing. Like that is what London is. Like it's just a bunch of tourist sites, but it's also a bunch of buildings and businesses and a hell of a lot of people live there. And so you're not, you are getting somewhat of the experience. Whereas if, you know, you're a tiny village in Alaska and then a cruise ship drops off 500 people six times a week, well, then you become just a tourist hub. You're just selling trinkets and so forth. And so maybe in those big, big places, you can get the legit experience. I'd love to go back, or I don't know how you'd even try to measure this, but is it possible that like tourism has changed humanity more than than maybe anything else we've ever really thought of when you think about so many spots around the world that people want to go visit and it's obviously a, a you know a multi 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 billion dollar industry around the world and yet how many locales that are smaller and I like your example of the big cities but the smaller locales and how many places have just literally kind of lost its sense of whatever maybe it's supposed to be or what we think we're going to go and get when we get there because it just has to cater to so many tourists coming in and out all the time. Okay. So I haven't been to Hawaii, but have you been to Hawaii? No, but uh, now that's what my kids are telling me we have to go do next. Wow. You're a big money family. Um, Yeah. Yeah, That public education. Yes. Yeah. Keep coaching six more sports. So why, what, you know, there was a legitimate demo- a legitimate government, a monarchy. We overthrew them to make pineapples and bananas, Dole Fruit Company. Am I remembering correctly? I, I'm i going to say I'll go with what you're saying. I, I don't know my Hawaiian history much. I, okay. I, need to, I need to bone up on that. I believe that's the case. So what is Hawaii then? Just pineapples and pineapples? It's like that, That's it? That's a pineapple plantation? Or before that, it was just a native population of people fishing and living kind of you know fairly basic lives and then a whole bunch of japanese people came in and a whole whole lot of american people come and now it's just resorts looking over the water and swimming and stuff like what is real hawaii i i don't know what is it supposed to be is it more efficient if it's this huge money destination which it is currently is it more original when it's just like these thatch huts i'm imagining and people just kind of getting by what's the real story i read a book called barbarian days about a guy that was surfing and grew up in hawaii in the 60s and it was fantastic but it seemed like there was almost no westerners there and it was really just before the era where jets came in and changed everything william finnegan's book but then now it's changed but what's the real hawaii like is it better if it was just pineapples or just like this monarchy eating poi and hanging out no, and that's that's a great question. What exactly are these places? Because I, I would say the romantic ideal in your mind is probably not actually what these places were. Is these places, like every place, were in always a constant state and flux of change of the local community and the greater world events and stuff like that. And and I think you're a hundred percent correct. It, it probably was neither any of those things. And now it it just seems like it's a place full of resorts and you know, I guess if you want to go have the traditional Hawaiian experience, you go to a luau, right? Isn't that what everybody does when they go there? And then they feel like that's what the people of Hawaii were doing uh, before the resort show. Yeah, I imagine so. I mean, 
who knows? Maybe that was just a traditional thing. Did you, you and I read article, I'm sure you read it too, about a guy in Africa that takes this uh, person on a hunt and like- Yes, how, that's Paul, then, it was that's Paul, Paul Thoreau's book. Yeah, and then, but then at the end it comes out that they do this like once a month to like take Westerners around and put on a show. Mostly they like live like more, more or less like Westerners. Yeah, I, I think I shared that anecdote with you on a different podcast, but yeah, the idea of he thinks he's going to go and, and be a hunter hunter-gatherer again and, and really be with uh, the people that are quote-unquote white. And then at the end, yeah, they're just like, no, we don't live hard. And it, it bummed. And it's like, oh. And therefore, it's like, isn't that what every tourist, though, wants when they go out? Is they, they want to feel like they're going to see something authentic or real or what's back to what it once was before everybody else but themselves ruined it by being a tour, right? This is what Anthony Bourdain did with his fantastic show, No Reservations, where he just traveled the world and experienced cultures, and that's the dream come true. Um, and ultimately, Anthony couldn't get away from himself and his depression and died by suicide. But it's the experience that everybody wants. But we can't have, because we don't have those kind of resources, Zach. We can't just travel out in the middle of nowhere and without guides and just you have these little legit experiences. And after all, I'm not sure I'd love them that much. I think it's probably pretty uncomfortable a lot of the time. And not that I need to be comfortable entirely all the time, but I think these places are mostly turning Western because Western is an easier way of life. You're probably right. I mean, and also Western tourists demand Western amenities wherever they go and stuff like that. I Years ago, I did an African safari and it was amazing the kinds of places that in the middle of the savannah they've created for, for people to sleep and stay and eat. And uh, it, it looks like a very nice high-end hotel that you'd find in America. And it's surprising that it's out in the middle of nowhere. But clearly, once again, tourism has changed the place. And I, and I really think that that's probably the best argument in this whole essay is I really do think tourism changes the place more than it changes the individual. And that's just something to think about, I think, when you travel. Yeah, probably. That said, I still take something away from it and I'm not giving it up. That, that's fine. I, I, I just, I guess if, if anything, when I read this article, I thought a lot about one of our other uh, favorite books, The Case Against Education. I, I thought it was, you know, both of these arguments in both this essay and that book uh, are, are about different topics, but it's somebody who's logically bringing out points against something that I don't think people consider much. And therefore, at first, you're like, what? Like, tour, you, you can't be a tourist anymore? That's stupid. This is going to be dumb. And yet, I think this person has cleverly and, and realistically laid out some really interesting reasons why maybe you should uh, think twice about traveling. Or if anything, I think that the arguments in this essay would make you a more wiser traveler when you go out, because maybe you'll recognize uh, some of the arguments made about your own behavior there, about, um, you know, are, are you there just sort of locomotiving, as they called it, where you're just wandering around, or are you going to take something from it, or you, is this place changed because of you? If anything, I think it will make you a wiser traveler or just maybe enhance your experience. And maybe lower your expectations. No more religious moments. 
Maybe that's it. I, I would say this. Uh, I had zero expectations on our trip to Alaska and we did do a cruise and I'd never done a cruise. And I did zero research for this thing in terms of what we were really going to see or do. And we had amazing time. And yet I, I kind of would say the trips that I can look back on and maybe say, hey, that was that was really cool was the ones where I had absolutely zero expectations about what we were going to see or do. And therefore, everything kind of felt like a surprise, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Pick you pick well and then have low expectations and uh, be surprised. No, I, I think that's a, a really good point. Did you think about the case against education at all when you when you read this essay? No, I didn't. But it's an interesting parallel. I, I like the idea of that. I would love to see more things like this, where somebody tries to give the counter on something that most people accept is true, I guess. And at the same time, I like the fact that it's a respectful counter. And it's not just saying, because you took a vacation, Don, you're a horrible person. Instead, it just soberly lays out uh, the case. And I think it's just something to consider. Yep. At least you left a bunch of carbon behind us, Zach. That's true. That that should get brought up, I guess, is probably the worst part about education is the uh, generated carbon that probably didn't need to be generated. We both flew across the country. I rented a gas-guzzling SUV. You went on a cruise ship and flew on a helicopter. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yes, yes. Uh, well, it's, you know, we'll try to build a solar power panel or something like that. <laughs> The the last thing I, I'll, I'll kind of say is I, as I was reading this article, I thought of two political cartoons that I saw at different points in my uh, in my life over the last twenty years, and one of them had the one of them was a one panel cartoon, and it said "World Travelers," and then it was just this couple with a slideshow showing another couple. They said, "And here we are at Euro Disneyland, and here we are at Hong Kong <laughs> Disneyland, and here we are at Japan Disneyland." I always thought that was kind of funny. And then my other favorite was some like college kid showing his mom his pictures of his study abroad experience. And he's like, here I am at the bar in Paris. Here I am at the <laughs> bar in Rome. Here I am at the bar and, you know, so-and-so. And I thought there's uh, there's some truth in those pictures as well. There certainly is. There certainly is. Well, I can see you at the many Disneys. Yes, someday that's my goal to go see all the different Disney's. In fact, I don't know if you, while you were looking at all the horses that were dying, I don't know if you saw the headline that said that Disney is now offering for $100,000 a trip around the world to all the different Disney parks. Well, there's a boat leaving on a cruise soon that it's going to be gone for three years and visit like 200 islands, 200 different countries. I think it's only like 60000 per year. It's a pretty good deal. Maybe you can do that. Yeah, no, I um, I, I now that I'm on the Princess Cruise uh like email list, which I need to get off of because they email me like four times a day with another cruise package special. Then they are offering a, I think it's like a five month, sixty city around the world stops, uh, sort of thing. It leaves from Los Angeles, it ends in Los Angeles, January to May, and I think it was like if you got like the lowest package, it was like twenty thousand dollars and. At first, I was like, well, that's a lot. But then I started thinking, like, well, that's all your food and your room and board. And, like, you know, you're going to see 60 different cities. Like, it almost seemed like it might be cheaper to live on a cruise ship than just uh, live in a house. Oh, there are people that do that. And they just live and work on their cruise ship. I've read about that. 
yeah, yeah. I, the three-year thing makes sense. Hey, our friend Chad Sweat just retired. He could go for three years, go for all these different places. That'd be pretty cool. He could report back to us. <laughs> Here I am in a bar in Sydney, Australia. Here I am in a bar in yeah, Brisbane, sure. Australia. <laughs> I'm, I'm drinking crown royal here and now i'm drinking crown royal there one last thought i did see the first starbucks zach and there was a long long line despite the fact that there were two other starbucks on that block that had no line where people are going to the original starbucks and uh, my wife said do you want a picture in front of it i said no but it looked like a lot of people there were having a religious experience and i'm happy for them is there like I mean, are they still using the same coffee filter or something? What's um, I mean, is there something that that you get if you like? Is the cup different or something? I, I the line was very long, so I did not go in. They look like from the windows. We walked by after it's closed. They're serving some reserve edition of the Pike's Place uh, brew, which I enjoyed, but I did not go, Zach. I did not go. Interesting. I, I, but that, that's kind of interesting thing I, that, that you saw the first one, I guess. Have you seen the original uh, McDonald's in, in California, too? I've driven by it. I've eaten at the original KFC. My dad worked at KFC. He was an assistant manager in the early 70s. Man, you've really been to a lot of original locations. Oh, uh, yeah. In fact, I, I was just with our friend Mr. Kopek yesterday. And uh, he was talking about how the original Pizza Hut, I think, is at Wichita State. Oh. So oh. maybe you can make that a family pilgrimage. Wichita State. What's their mascot? They're the... Uh... Uh, the Cyclones or something, maybe? No. Or... And Wichita State. Now I, now I can't stop thinking about it. The Woo Shock is their mascot. They're the uh. Shockers. That's right, the Shockers. The Shockers. Okay. Okay, that's right. Uh, Kansas is always afraid to play them. Yeah, well, they're tough. They're tough. Nothing, nothing to gain. They had a good Estonian 800 well, runner in my era. Okay, okay. Well, apparently the original Pizza Hut, too. So, uh, you know, something Ugh. else for your family to travel to on your next vacation. You love Pizza Hut. You can hit that. I do like Pizza Hut. Stuffed crust pizza, I think, is still a very underrated uh, technological invention. But that cheese takes a lot of water. Just added to my carbon footprint. <laughs> well, John, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you this week. I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely, Zach. Have a good one. Take care.